Pittsburgh Steelers fans, welcome to another episode of the Steelers postgame show. And if I sound jubilant, it's because I am. The Pittsburgh Steelers finally, finally beat the New England Patriots. This is the celebration that should have happened last year. It was not as dominant as some have hoped, but who cares? A win is a win. 17 to 10 Steelers win, and they are still in control of their destiny. A lot coming up, and we're going to talk about that. But first, I welcome my co-host, Lance Williams. Lance, you're off the schneid. You predicted the Steelers to win. I can't. I don't know the words. They're really gay. Oh, mama. Oh, 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 oh. I'm off the schneid. I am off the snide, baby. I am no longer slept rock of the show. I'm off the snide. I picked the Steelers. They won. That's it. I love it. I'm happy. It's been a fantastic weekend. Go Steelers. Control their destiny. How do you like me now? That's right. Now, I, I have to ask you, Lance. Um, I know that I had a good feeling about this game. I don't know. Sometimes your, your gut just tells you you, you got to feel good. But I sent you a text last night, and you didn't respond, which is rare. And it was the video that the Steelers put out on Twitter that stated they were going to wear their color rush uniforms for this game. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, boy, it's on. And my, I, I was like, I seriously thought to myself, they've got it. They've got it. I don't know what it is, but they've got it. What was your reaction to the decision to wear the color rush? I can't believe we're talking about jersey selection this early in the show, but I want to talk about it. <laughs> but what was your response? Because you didn't text me back like a prick. Um, what was your response? And what were your thoughts on um, just the game in general? Well, I, I didn't know the significance of their record in the color rush jersey. So had I known, I definitely would have responded. But, you know, I was at the movies, you know, going to see Widows having a good time away from football. So <laughs> I'm going to apologize for drinking a cherry and Coke icy, which was quite delicious. And I know that makes you cringe when I you mean, hear icy. Live your life. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which means that guy can drink that mess. I'm not. <laughs> but man, the game was a very interesting game. You know what? You know, it's great when you watch football because it's always revealing. And the Steelers are better than we think, but they just don't play clean all the time. They make some boneheaded errors and some mistakes, but the Patriots aren't as good as we think either. Like, this is weird. Like, that was a really pedestrian kind of Patriot team. Yeah, no, no you're right. I, I Let me you – know, it's funny. Someone that writes about the Steelers as much as I do, you right when the game ends. I mean, it's almost immediately after the game ends, the narrative is starting to be built by both sides of the of the of the game. So you think back to um, the loss to the Broncos, it was the turnovers. Then you go to the Chargers, it was the referees missed calls, and then you go to the loss of the Raiders, and it was Tomlin's time management. It was the injury, the uh, X-ray gate. And so now all of a sudden you have the narrative, especially on the Patriots side of the ledger, being all about how poorly the Patriots played. And they did not play a very good game. They were highly penalized, very uncharacteristic of Bill Belichick teams. But let's not pretend that the Steelers played out of their mind because they didn't. They didn't play their best game of the season. They made enough plays to win. And I'm sorry, but a December game, when your lead in the division is hanging by a literal thread you come out with a win against the new england patriots a team you haven't beat since 2011 or 2012 something like that i don't care how you win the game the narrative should be you made enough plays to win and i think that personally I, you know i'm always in a group text with my dad and brother during games and uh they were both texting about i ah, that should have been worse but i thought to myself that the key for the steelers this game was number one the pressure was enough to move Brady around in the pocket. There was a lot of a lot of fortunate drops by the Steelers' defense, especially on third down by the Patriot receivers. But I thought the Steelers' offense did a tremendous job possessing the football. I mean, I don't know. It's in the first half, at least they had yard, drives of 97, 98 yards where it might not have resulted in points, whether it was an, an interception, whether it was a missed field goal by Boswell. We'll talk about that in a second. But they possessed the football and they kept Brady off the field. And so 
what I want to look at here quickly, if I pull up the, the game book, is time of possession. Now, this might be skewed because of the end of the game and things of like that. Um, the Steelers had 30 minutes and 49 seconds to New England's 29 and 11 seconds. But, man, Lance, don't you feel like the Steelers just really did a great job of possessing the football and and making plays, especially on third down? The Steelers uh, were 4 of 9, which is just under 50%. But on that last drive, just some crucial, crucial third down conversions talk about that for a second yeah i don't disagree and looking at the game book the steelers had the ball 11 minutes and 20 seconds in the first quarter so and then they had it for 7 46 in the second so there was a huge disparity on the side of the steelers in terms of possessing the football it flipped due to the turnover in the third quarter when the patriots had it for 10 minutes but i thought you know it's interesting you say that jeff and i don't want to take anything from the steelers and, and I apologize for saying that at the top of the show about saying that the Patriots weren't didn't appear to be a an elite team like they have in the past. But, you know, when teams struggle in games, some of that has to do with the fact that the other team is playing well. And for a Tom Brady led offense to only convert three of 10 third downs, some of those were due to drops. You know, the plan was much better than we've seen in the past. Some of that may be due to the fact that Gronk has diminished some physically and now they can cover him. Whatever it may be, the Steelers played well enough to win this game, and you should never complain about winnings. As, we, as we've seen in the last four games with that three-game losing streak, particularly losing in the Oakland in the fashion that they did, winning is hard in the National Football League, and you should never apologize it. You just win and correct and move to the next week. And you know what, if you're looking at statistics, and we always do this on a Wednesday show, we kind of have the stat of our stat geek segment. Um, to me, it comes down to this, red zone, Steelers, two for three. They continue to be the best team in the red zone in the National Football League. The New England Patriots, oh for three. Did not convert in the red zone one time. So this is the Steelers' defense, in my opinion. This game kind of uh, encapsulated what the Steelers' defense is and that is a a defense that is not great at anything but is okay at a lot of things and one of those things needs to be for this team to actually compete is they need to be stout in the red zone and on third downs and they were that tonight and it was a great step forward for this team after losing three in a row as you mentioned so kudos to the Steelers big wins I know we're going to get to your questions so if you're watching live on YouTube uh, and you're in the live chat Hold your questions till the end. I'll put a post out there when we're ready for those. Uh, Lance, you ready to get into some grades? Haven't done this in a while, but let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. This is this is going to be interesting because in wins, okay. I think you know, I think the assumptions that the grades are always high, but but I think it's going to be pretty interesting. I think. Okay, well, let's talk about it. Ben Roethlisberger at the top of the docket tonight, as always. Twenty-two of thirty-four, two hundred and thirty-five yards, average six point nine touchdowns, two interceptions, two sack twice. And then a rating of 79.9, Lance, grade, Ben Roethlisberger, one through four, four being the best, one being the worst. I'm going to give him a 2.75. And I think I'm putting Ben down that low because of the turnovers and because of the intentional grounding play in the red zone that really put some pressure on that offense down there. I thought he was good enough to get the win, obviously, but he still has to protect the football. He He's putting balls in some places where they're going to get interception. I mean, I mean, and it's not just those two interceptions. It's some other throws as well. But in those interceptions, those were just dead throws, dead plays. You can't force the ball in those areas. The safety over top, I believe it was Juju, and where he throws the ball to A.B., I thought those were two bad decisions that resulted in two turnovers. And I think if he doesn't turn the ball over on that second one, you know, the Steelers may win this game more comfortably. He's got to clean that up because they need a better Ben Roethlisberger down the stretch as they go on the road to play the best team in football, New Orleans Saints. So he has to improve his play. He does have to improve, but I'm going to give him a three uh, because I mean, it's not, it was not a four performance by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, the first interception was bad. The second interception thought AB might have been able to hold on to that one. That looked like a, a rub route where Eli Rogers might not have gotten as deep as he wanted. But Ben, when it mattered the most, we've said this before on the show, that Joe Gibbs, the Hall of Fame coach, once said that football can come down to three or four plays. And tonight, 
especially those third downs on that last drive, one to Vance McDonald, one to Jalen Samuels. He had a really nice pass to James Washington down the sideline. Um, he threw some really nice passes when it mattered the most. Were those interceptions bad? Yes, absolutely. Was the intentional grounding awful? Sure. You expect a veteran to not do something like that. But at the same time, Ben Roethlisberger also had some really good plays in this game. He extended the play, especially on that pass to Jalen Samuels for third down. Those are the plays that in the past against New England, they had failed to convert on. And they converted. They put pressure on Brady, both physically and, and uh, figuratively. And now... I give him a three. I don't think that's too homerish to you. I'm a big Ben Roethlisberger fan, but I think a three is 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 okay. No, I think the three is in the ballpark because they won the game. I think when you win a game, I think the grade for the most part is probably about two and a half and above because you won the game, and that's the yeah. most important thing. But I think when it comes down to evaluating Ben Roethlisberger, it's sort of like the famous jazz saxophonist Ornette Coleman, abstract jazz guy. It's the beauty in the eye of the beholder. In yeah. his case, it's the ear. You know, Ornette was way out there. He was really avant-garde. Some people love it. Some people don't. Ben is never going to play football like Peyton Manning and or Tom Brady. But he's going to play Ben Roethlisberger football. And for the most part, that's been foot winning football. So it's, it's you know, it's beauty in the eye of a beholder. He is what he is at this point in time. And you just got to ride number seven and hopefully he gets you the wins. And I think if you look at the, the game as it, in its entirety, and I, I'm, I'm excited to watch it again, um, I think about two plays that if if the receivers come down with the ball, that it totally changes the dynamic of the game and his stat line and his perception after the game. And that's Vance McDonald in the end zone, can't get two feet down. And then uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, where he had one-on-one -on -one coverage. It looked like he had the ball. And I think it was Gilmore uh, ripped the ball away. And it was incomplete. I think that led to the Boswell good, the, I think the field goal made it 17-10, which is a final score. So, you, yeah, I can definitely know what you're talking about in terms of looking at things from a different at, through a different lens, and that tends to be true with Ben Roethlisberger. Um, all right, let's, let's move on. Let's go to the running game. Jalen Samuels, holy crap, who saw this coming? 19 carries for 142 yards. He averaged 7.5 a clip. He had a 25-yard long. But I do want to say real quick, he also had two receptions for 30 yards. The kid almost had 200 total yards of scrimmage. Just tremendous play from him. I want to give, though, for me, and I, I want to give him credit because he's out there making plays, but huge tip of the cap to Randy Feetner. I thought that the, the play calls they had dialed up for him in the running game were tremendous. Um, they, did, they, they got him in places and in positions where he can excel. He's not the James Conner or even Le'Veon Bell style where you want to design a run in between the tackles. He's someone you want to give him in space, let him pick his spots. They had those cutbacks that were working a lot. I'm not sure if that was so much something they saw on film against New England or if it was just something that they thought Jalen Samuels did well and excelled at. But, oh, my gosh, what a performance. I'm going to give my grade first, Lance. Don't want to step on your toes. Four point whatever. He's above a four. A-plus. Tremendous performance from the rookie. Go ahead and give your grade before I say my next thoughts on him. In the famous words of Moses Malone, foe, foe, foe. <laughs> it's an outstanding game. I mean, you quoted the stats. It's an excellent game. But I think what it does, I think what it shows the Steelers, and hopefully it shows the fan base, they have their running back tandem next year. It is set. The two running backs will be Samuels and James Conner. Those are your running backs. So that's set. Not only did they solidify that, but this performance in a big game against the Patriots was outstanding. One slight slip up, I believe. I'd have to look at the play again in pass protection when Van Noy got the sack on a blitz early in the game. But other than that, he played a fantastic game. And if you're the Steelers, you have to be happy. You have two young backs, two young three down backs that you have to be comfortable I think moving forward that you might have a running back tandem but he was just outstanding in his game and that's what you need to win in the National Football League you need guys that step up and make big plays in big spots and it can't always be from your stars but he was a star on tonight's game absolutely and it kind of begs the question I don't want to get too far ahead of myself but we know that James Conner is going to be back sometime this season most are predicting he'll be back next week versus the Saints to me, personally, from an outsider's perspective and not someone that's in the locker room, I think that this is setting up to be a really, really good 
one-two punch for the Steelers in regards to let's have Jalen Samuels be that third down type back. He can be the back that you can flex out and let's still give James Conner the majority of reps at the running back position. Do you agree or do you think they should change it up or kind of go with the flow? I mean, how do you see these two guys fitting in moving forward? I think Connor should be the every down back. Like you said, and Samuel should be a switch up third down back or possibly a, a guy that runs some series after Connor. I think that's how you're going to do it, but I think they're going to go with the hot hand. I think that's how they're going to do it because they're both young backs. They both have skill sets, similar skill sets, ability to run the ball in between the tackles and catch it outside and catch it in the pass game. But I think Connor as a runner is better. And so I think that's where you would lean. You'd start Connor. But can you imagine in this game if Connor was healthy against that Patriots front? He would have absolutely killed them. And that's the difference between Samuels and Connor. Connor running the football in this game might have had 200 yards rushing. Well, he's got the explosiveness. He's got that. He, he hits that hole and it, he's gone. And that's something that uh, Samuels, for all the things that he does well, and I, I'll tell you what, that guy fights for every single yard. Um, he just doesn't have that explosive. That's not in his nature. Here's a fun fact. He said this in his postgame show because uh, we, were, we were a little bit later coming on, which is fine. I was able to listen to those. In his life, he has never rushed for 100 yards in a game, even in high school. Uh, and so his first time doing that in the National Football League. That's pretty good stuff. Well, he picked a hell of a so, time to do it. He picked a hell of a time to do it against the Patriots. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And and a shout out to Stephen Ridley, who averaged over five years as well. He had some really big runs coming out um, from the end zone. But let's go to the receivers. Man, James Washington ends up leading the team in receiving. He had three rushes for uh, sixty-five yards. Uh, go ahead and give. Well, go ahead and give him a grade. What are your thoughts on him? I'm going to give the young man a 3.25. I, I thought he was huge. And, and, and this is just, I mean, his story in the NFL, his progression is typical in the National Football League. Juju is an outstanding professional. Juju's ascension to being probably the best number two wide receiver in the National Football League is abnormal. This is how it typically looks for most draft picks. They have their ebbs and flows, their ups and their downs. What you hope is that they're on the uptick towards the end of the season, and they're on the uptick when you actually need them. And he performed. He performed today. This rookie has been sat down. His hat's been taken. But you can see from him that he's continued to work. He's continued to chop wood. The coaching staff has continued to bring him along. And that's why you do it, because in a game of this magnitude, he's ready to make plays, and he made plays. So I'm going to get a young man at 3.25. Okay, yeah, I'm going to give him, uh, I'll say three and a half, because a, if he would hit pay dirt, it's a four. Um, but again, I said this about Roethlisberger, I'll say it for him as well. It's about when you make the plays, and he made them in crucial situations. Uh, let's grade Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. Both ended with four receptions. Brown had 49 yards. Schuster had 40. Um, Brown had a touchdown. Schuster was out of the end, held out of the end zone. But here's crazy targets. Antonio Brown, seven. Juju Smith-Schuster, 10. How would you grade the dynamic duo at wide receiver for the Steelers? I'm going to give them a two and a half. This wasn't their best game. Not a lot of separation. 18, excuse me, 17 targets, eight receptions. That That's pretty bad. Not their best game. I'm giving them a two and a half because they won the game and because Antonio Brown scored a touchdown. But Juju was taken largely out of the game. And I'd have to watch the game back to see if it was by design. One thing that was peculiar to me in this game, given the amount of man coverage that the Patriots were running, I didn't see a lot of pick concepts or, or rub route concepts to kind of shake these guys free so they could run in space underneath the crossers. So it'd be interesting if these teams meet again, if you'll see the Steelers, because they had a lot of bunch stuff, and they had stack releases, so they were trying to get them clean releases. But it'd be interesting to see if they run some, some of those concepts, some pick routes, some rub route concepts to try to get some more separation. Because the one thing you saw in this game is if the Patriots front seven is bad, the back end is solid. Coverage was really good from most of the cornerbacks for all night. So I'm going to give those guys a two and a half. 
Yeah, I, 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 I'll go two and a half. I'll agree with you there. I'll, I'll find. Like you said, Antonio Brown has a touchdown. Smith Schuster. I was expecting him to kind of be the one that feasts on his matchup, but ultimately, it. I mean, sometimes the lack of straight line speed can hurt Juju Smith Schuster. He wasn't able to get on top of his guy. So, um, yeah, two and a half seems fair. I do want to give a tip of the cap to Eli Rogers. His first game back, he was activated just yesterday. Uh, he'd been off the pup week for pup list for a couple weeks. Um, that was something that was uh, inaccurately stated during the game. Um, he was taken off the pup list two weeks ago, and then he was just activated as Marcus Gilbert, the piece of crap, sorry. Uh, he went to injured reserve. Um, so Eli Rogers handed with four catches for 20 yards. He had four targets. He had a couple. I know he had one huge third down reception in the first drive of the game. So just a tip of the cap to him, not going to give him a grade or anything like that. I thought it was great. Um, any what were your thoughts on Rodgers and what he brought to the team? If if I were forced to give him a grade, I'd give him a three and a half. He was ready. I'm always impressed by guys that don't play and are able to step into a game late in the year at the speed the guys are playing and be able to contribute. I mean, he did not look rusty. He looked like he knew where he was supposed to go, ran the routes crisply, and made catches. And it's exciting to get him back into the lineup because that just gives them another option. But you were talking about Marcus Gilbert. And I wanted to speak about Gilbert just briefly. <laughs> He's and yes, he is. Like, I had El Busto. <laughs> you, you, you have Marcus Gilbert. I'm trying to find Marcus Gilbert's contract here. He's under contract next year, I think, is his last year. He signed an extension. So let me, I see, think... if I can, let me see if I can find it. Yes, he did sign an extension a couple of years ago, but – with him going, oh, oh, there he is. He's on injured reserve. With him on injured reserve, if you look at his, if you look at his cap number, uh, so he's in the final year. Yes, next year is the final year of his deal. Right. That's his, cap, his cap number next year is six point six million dollars. I, I think the thing to look at is, and this is looking at his post June first. Uh, dead money charge. If you look at his post dead money charge June 1st, it's at $1.7 million. Mm, wow. That, that that puts you in the possibility that you could get cut. Yes. I mean, that's not enough of a dead money hit to protect you. So I think the Steelers are going to have a tough decision next year. You know, I think this year, the $4.9 million dead money charge kind of protected him, and he was still playing good football. But having gone on injury reserve this year, I think they have an issue with him next year. And I wouldn't be surprised if they move on from Marcus Gilbert in the offseason. If they don't, it says that they like him, but his injuries are a concern. Well, let me be honest here. You know, my frustrations with him are based on the fact that he just struggles to stay on the field. He is good when he's there. It's the problem is that he's just not there that often. And whether it was the suspension last year, he's had nagging injuries in his lower body, this being a knee this year. Um, he's had knee issues before. He's getting older, an offensive tackle. They have they have some players in Filer and Shooks Accor for there. And not, let's not forget Gerald Hawkins, who tore his quadricep prior to the season. He's going to be in the mix next year. Uh, and there's going to be some tackles coming into the draft that they might be able to snag as well. So, um, the Steelers, if Mike Munchak is still there, I'm comfortable if they say we're done, we're walking away from this guy and we're going to move forward. I trust him. We'll, we'll put it that way, but we don't want to talk too much about that guy. Um, let's go down to the defense. My gosh, the defense held the Patriots to 10 points. And I don't think any player played bigger in my opinion than Joe Hayden, who finished with 12 tackles, eight of them solo. He had two pass defenses. And of course that ginormous interception, um, which turned into the field goal for Boswell. What are your thoughts on Hayden? Did he kind of look rejuvenated to you, or what were your overall thoughts on his play? I thought he played fantastic. If I'm going to give him a grade, I'm gonna give him a, a I'm gonna give him a four. Hell yeah, you give him a four. You got to give him a four. He got beat a couple of times in coverage, but hey, man, that, that that pass interference was BS. I'm sorry. Yeah, man. yeah, I wasn't a fan of that. Um, but. I mean that, that. I mean that's why you have a Joe Hayden. Big players make big plays in big games, Santana Moss style. That's why you have Joe Hayden, and he stepped up. I, I have to watch this on film, and I want. I really want to get friend of the program Chris Carter's take. You know, maybe we should have Chris on the show this week because uh, I know Chris is going to take a look at every snap just to see how different was the plan this time 
from games past. And, and Bill Belichick is right. The Patriots play the Steelers so much, it does feel like a division game. I, I, I want to know, and I want to get some insight from Chris. What was the difference? I know from my vantage point, it looked like they played a lot of nickel, a lot of dime. You saw Burnett on the field a lot, and you did not see Bostic on the field a lot. So, well, but you didn't see they, you didn't see Ford on the field though a lot. I'll look at the snapshot. Yes, yes, so yes. this might have been more of their dollars type coverage than anything else because Fort wasn't on the field and Bostic, you were right, wasn't on the field that much either. Yes, that's interesting that you pointed that out because I was watching the game. I was like, where's Fort? Fort's the dime guy. So I'm wondering if they pulled out the golden dollar. Ooh, maybe this was maybe this was the plan all along that they just saved it for the Patriots because they knew it was going to be necessary. And it worked. Holy maybe, crap. Maybe they're doing some good coaching. No. Can't be that. Can't be that. Speaking of coaching, I do want to mention this. I'm going to publish this article here in about the next 30 minutes when the show ends. If you didn't catch Mike Thomas post game press conference, well, let's back up. After our show Wednesday lands, I'm sure you heard that all of a sudden there were some changes, quote unquote, changes that were happening in the Steelers on the defensive side of the ball. One of those being that Artie Burns was going to be starting. The second one being that Cam Sutton was going to be in for Mike Hilton. Talk about stunners for both of those decisions because Mike Hilton, although he had a rough patch the last three games, um, is are quite arguably one of their most well-rounded defenders when you talk about blitzing, tackling, and coverage. And then you have Artie Burns, who is he's a liability anytime he's on the field. And I sent you that text today because I feel like he could be <laughs> he could be called for a push in the back on every single special teams play that he's out there. So Artie Burns goes out, he starts the first series. Big bomb to Chris Hogan, and he doesn't see the field again. Now, in the post game, he obviously Mike Tomlin was asked about that, and Mike Tomlin made it very clear. Now, this to me, because I've watched these press conferences, I've listened to him talk so much. He is trying to manipulate the media here, and he's trying to he's trying to protect his young first round draft pick. He said that's not on Artie Burns. I want to make that very clear that that is not on Artie Burns. He took blame. He said, that's actually on me, that he was somehow still arguing a call on the previous play and that it, it, the out of the communication was bad. I'm not sure how he actually phrased that, but he basically said, it's not Artie Burns' fault. Now, it might not have been Artie Burns' fault, but let's say it wasn't Artie Burns' fault. How do you bench him for the rest of the game when it wasn't his fault? And he said... He said that it's because he thought Cody Sensabaugh with his veteran skill set, his leadership was better suited for the job. And he liked it. And Cameron Sutton was the same exact way. Mike Hilton did not start the game. Sutton was in there. And then Sutton comes out and he did play in the dime, his typical package in the dime. Um, and I'm not sure if he saw the field with uh, the dollar package that we spoke about a little bit earlier. I just don't get it. Hey, I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to protect Burns. But if he didn't make the mistake, why was he not in the game more? I don't get it. So he said he had a great week of practice, but Artie Burns continues to be this giant question mark uh, in terms of how he played. Um, so, yeah, take he that lying. from he, he lying. He lying, <laughs> Jeff. I mean, look, and you guys know, man, I, I'm a Tomlin apologist probably to a fault. I like Mike Tomlin. I think he's been an excellent coach for the Steelers. But, look, anytime Tomlin goes out of his way to take blame – for anything, you know it's a diversionary tactic. I mean, you just know it. I mean, you know it's a diversionary tactic immediately. And, you know, I was watching the game with my pop, and I think I think we were saying, well, if you had confidence to start him and he made one mistake and you took him out of out of the game after one mistake, then why'd you start him in the first place? Yeah. I mean, football, you make mistakes. And I think they said, look, this guy's head, look, we, we can't risk this. He's not on his screws. Look, we, we got to pull him out, man. No hard feelings. We're trying to win a game. We're trying to go to the playoffs. We can't continue this. But you did have a good week of practice. We'll try this again next week. But, against but, Drew Brees and company. Yeah, right. But the leash is short. <laughs> right. But the leash is short. The one thing about Drew Brees and those guys, not to break not, not to break the Saints uh, down too much, but – I think that's a game where the Steelers can play a lot of man coverage. 
the Saints have one good receiver in Michael Adams. It is a it they they have a great system and Kamara is ridiculous. But one on one, I think they can take some of the approach that the Cowboys did against the Saints and really try to plaster the receivers. But that that's for another game. Yes, it is. That's for Wednesday. That will be for Wednesday. I'm just juiced, baby. I'm just juiced. Heck yeah, I'm man. I'm just juiced, baby. Eight and five, eight, five and one. Still with the AFC North, beat the dreaded Patriots. My brother, Big Pats fan, of course, he hasn't called me. He hasn't <laughs> called me. Yeah, and this goes out to my brother, Big Pats fan. You talk all that mess before games. You haven't called me yet. All that Mugambo. You, Foxborough South, this, that, and the other. But, and I'm sure he's going to remit, forget we had a bet on this game. Pay up, Big Pats fan. What's up? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things pan out here in the coming weeks for New England. But they're staring at having to play on Wild Card Weekend right in the face as you know the Chargers beat the Chiefs this week. And uh, you have some jockeying going on with the, the Texans are still up there. And the Steelers keep their spot as number four this week. And then the, the Chargers are going to host the Ravens next week. It's going to be crazy, but I want to get through these grades real quick. I want you to give me a, a rough grade for the pass rush. We'll just say overall pass rush. We're talking TJ Watt, Bud Dupree, Cam uh, Hayward, Stefan Tuitt, and Javon Hargrave as those primary players in this equation. What would you grade the pass rush today? I'm going to give a pass rush a three. Although they only got one sack in the game, I thought they made Brady uncomfortable enough Seven where, quarterback hits. Seven quarterback hits. Yeah, I mean that that's enough to, to to get him out of his rhythm. I don't think he was as comfortable as we've seen him in the past against LeBeau defenses or in the past against Butler defenses. I, I think the pass rush had its impact and had its desired effect. It's going to be hard to ever get you know Tom Brady four or five times just because of the nature of their offense and the fact that he gets the ball out. But I, I thought the pressure had its intended purpose of trying to make him uncomfortable as much as you can make Brady uncomfortable if you don't have arguably four Hall of Famer, almost Hall of Famer pass rushers like the New York Giants. Yes, no, you're right. I would give them a, I'd give them a three. And man, TJ Watt was so close on so many occasions and you're just, you're sitting there watching like, get him TJ, go! And then you know, that's what Brady does, man. I mean, I, <laughs> I swear it's every time you play me, right when you think they got it, right when you think he's going to bring that ball back and then they're just going to get a strip sack or something, he just steps up. He's he's the best for a reason, you know, but, you know, they got the best of him this time. It was a huge win. I do have to – this might be – as I was sitting there, I was waiting for us to go live at 8 o'clock Eastern time, and I was, I was like, okay, there's one grade I'm looking at. I have one grade. I want to hear what he has to say. One. And that's Chris Boswell. Now, how are you going to grade Chris Boswell? Because he misses a chip shot. Was it like a 39-yarder? It might have even been closer than that. I'm not sure the yardage. And he makes both of his extra points, but he he misses the, the chip shot, makes a 48-yarder, which was huge. Turns out didn't matter because it was 14-10 to 10 anyways, and if even if he uh, – it was a four-point lead, so it didn't matter ultimately, but it made them have to get a touchdown. Um, so what were your what's your grade on Chris Boswell? I almost want to give him a no grade. <laughs> this you one, you know, I know like this, like this one is tough, right? Because you want him to make the kicks because that helps you win games. But by going one of two, you still know that there's some problems. So it the, the coaching staff is in a weird spot. You know, is that make enough? to make them feel warm and fuzzy about him? Or is him going one of two, does it put them in some squeamish areas in a position in terms of evaluating? Because he made one of two, he should have made two of two. I'm going to have to give him a two and a half. You know, I, I want to give him, I want to be totally Homer and give him a four. A but like you said, it wasn't the game winner. They were up 14-13. I think this kick does more for him in terms of maybe mentally getting him out of his rut and making this big kick against the Patriots. But because he was one of one, I'm going to give him a two and a half. I don't think the Steelers are out of the hot water when it comes to Boswell in any way, shape, or form. 
I think this just makes the decision even harder in terms of how they go forward. But it's great that he made the kick, and I think he that kick made him go to – he'll get a flight to New Orleans for sure. To me, my grade is a one. It's awful. I'm sorry. I wow. Very good. wow. I, I, yeah, I know. You missed a 32-yarder, and if he makes that 32-yarder – it's 20 to 10 after he makes the 48 yarder. You cannot leave points on the on the field or off the board, however you want to say it. You can't do that when you're trying to play, you're trying to beat the team like the Patriots. So I give him a one. And you Jeff, know what? Jeff, hold on, Jeff. hold on. Let me let me finish. Let me finish. Okay. And and ultimately, Kai Forbath, who was in for this pseudo tryout they had this week, he was signed by the Jacksonville Jaguars because their kicker Lambo was injured. If Lambo's healthy and they release Kai Forbath, if I'm the Steelers, I sign him. I say Chris Boswell, and this is uh, this is not an original idea. Joe Rudder of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review put this on, out on Twitter, and I thought it was a genius idea if you could pull it off. You say all of a sudden, um, uh, Boswell came down with a groin injury, and we're placing him on injured reserve, um, and so we're going to keep him. You know, you're not going to get rid of him. But uh, we're basically going to have to sign someone else. It's just not acceptable. I, I, I don't know if you were like me, but that, there was a time, I mean, there was a time where I could, anytime the Steelers lined up for an extra point or a field goal, I could literally just write on Twitter early, field goal's good, Steelers now up, whatever the score would be. I can't do that anymore because you have no idea. Whatever distance, whatever distance doesn't matter. If you have an inconsistent kicker, you don't have a kicker. That's my opinion. So he gets a one grade, and I'm saying that if, if someone else is out there, now McCrane was the other guy they brought in. Clearly, they weren't as impressed with him. Yeah, is he going to go to New Orleans? Probably. But at the same time, it's not looking good in my opinion. It's interesting. I, you know, I wanted to pause you just to mark the tape. I don't think you've ever given anybody a one. I, I'm, just, I'm just flabbergasted. Like I'm like... Jeff gave somebody a one. Like I don't. Have you ever given somebody a one, Jeff? I don't know. I'm just sick and tired of him missing kicks. Period. Like that's it. Just to, you know. To your point, Jeff, the, his inconsistency. They're in a bad place because you know. To your point, and I thought you were going to get on me for two and a half. I thought I was being low. I no. wanted to go to a two. <laughs> but I thought I was good. I thought I was like, I, I hedged it at two and a half because I kind of saw your face and you were kind of shaking your head. I was like, okay, Jeff thinks I'm going low, but I should go high. <laughs> no. that I be it. But, but, but you're right. And, and, and you know what, Jeff, that plan, if they could pull that off, would be perfect because you don't waive them. You keep them on injury reserve. It's fine. And you have a kicker. You just don't know how this guy for bath is going to kick. And we told you sometimes, you know, you want to have a four bath. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know that's a great way to end the day but um you know you just don't know who you have in this guy and he hasn't kicked in Heinz field so it's interesting it's interesting you mentioned twitter because there was a guy uh, that was tweeting I, I guess he was on the side of the field where boswell was was practicing from the 50 and he was saying boswell was shanking him he was just shanking 50 yarders and he was like uh-oh this is a bad warm-up today Let, let's hope that this is the kick that gets him off the snide, but it is a problem. It is a concern. It, it, it is a problem. And you just have to take, you have to take a step back, take a whole look at the body of work and not be overly influenced by the fact that he made a non game winning kick yeah. against the Patriots. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really the only loser that I can think of. I mean, the Steelers played a pretty good game. I'm looking at the team statistics in terms of, you know, first downs, they had 24 first downs to the Patriots, 18. I talked about third down efficiency. How about the Patriots three for 10, 30%. Okay. That's tremendous job. Fourth down efficiency, zero for one for the new England. Good, good nods. That's that's, those are notches on the belt for the, the defense. Um, total play 61 to 56 in favor of Pittsburgh. Total yardage was about even 376 to 368 in terms of Pittsburgh. Um, even, yeah. Can I get nitpicky? Sure, go for it. And, and this goes to the whole thing about clock management and, and just how the narrative around bad clock management, it typically only comes out in wins and losses. But I want to be consistent here and, and not follow the narrative that most reporters do 
Tomlin's clock management at the end of the first half was really bad. When um, when they did the, the fake that they were going to go for it on fourth down, they went off the field and they ended up punting. He should have called a timeout right there and saved some seconds so the Steelers could have possibly run a couple of plays to end the half. Now, it doesn't result in anything, but again, that was a bad use of clock management. Had they lost, I'll guarantee you that that would have came up at the end of the game by a bunch of analysts and writers and so on and so forth. So I want to be consistent there. The only other thing I want to be a nitpicker about is Randy Feetner about the last two play calls on the last drive of the Steelers had. I, I was in total agreement with Tony, Tony Romo. I thought they should have threw the ball twice, especially with the clock stopped. I thought they should have gave Roethlisberger two opportunities to get it. That's mm. ext- that, that's extreme nitpicking. But again, that, that's just some nitpicking. That's the type of thing, though, just to my point, is that would come out had they lost. With them well, winning, yeah. that won't come out. There's two sides of the, of the ledger there, and I've said that a lot tonight. So, for instance, you say they should have thrown it twice. If they would have thrown it twice and those passes fall incomplete and they end up losing the game, they're putting the they're they're getting Feetner putting dragging him over the hot coals because they didn't run the ball to kill the clock. So, the perfect, I guess, if you had a perfect scenario of situation would be that you can run the ball for a first down, but at the same time, that's not always the case. So, I see what you're saying. I'm not saying I disagree. Um, I agreed with what you said when coming up when when they got the uh, the timeout to it was like second and seven. You said throw coming off a timeout. I said what was it third down? It might have been third down where he threw it to Juju Smith Schuster incomplete and it led to the field goal. I would have wanted a higher percentage pass there so that even if you get stopped, you can still take some time off the clock. Uh, but still, the Steelers win the game, folks. That's the Steelers win the game. Steelers win the game. Absolutely. Yeah, must need it because man, had they dropped to the eighth seed? Oh, gee, my knees. Yes, and so I'll tell you what, I'm going to be looking at. Um, I'll be preparing this tomorrow morning, most likely. I will be looking at the AFC playoff picture, uh, what where the Steelers are now, but more importantly, I'll be taking a look at the scenarios. What's going to happen if typically I, I talk about if the Steelers lose? Because let's be honest, the Steelers went out, they're fine, they're going to be in the playoffs, they're going to win the division for the third straight time. But if they lose, what could happen? And so we know that the Ravens have the Chargers in Los Angeles this week. So there's still a lot to be talking about, especially with the, um, you know, especially with the fact that the the Saints are the next opponent. That's not an easy game at all. Hey Jeff. Hey Jeff. Let me, let me let, let's run this out here before we get into some of the questions because I know that's where we're going next. Yeah. Let's run back the true false that we had from Wednesday. And that was if the Steelers beat the Patriots. I think I gave that to you guys, did it on the the Thursday show. If the Steelers beat the Patriots, will they win out? True or false? I said I said true because I've always thought that the Steelers were a team that seems like they're built to go down to New Orleans and give them a really good game. Um and I've always felt I felt this last year. Let's be honest, man. The Steelers should have beaten the Patriots twice in a row. Yes. It's, it's, it's the honest truth. That's not crying over spilled milk. Yes. Jesse James play could have, should have been a touchdown. They would have won the game and they should, they should be talking about how Ben Roethlisberger has beaten Tom Brady two times in a row. Um, but obviously that didn't happen. So I felt very good going into this game, even after three straight losses. And I think that now you look at the saints game coming up. It's not a gimme. No way. I mean, the saints are good, but the saints have not been as good as they were around the midpoint of the season. Teams are starting to figure out how to play them. So you mentioned a little bit earlier some of the strategy that the Steelers might deploy. We'll talk about that on Wednesday, obviously. But also, um, and then the Bengals are the Bengals in the last week of the season, which is not going to be an easy game, but it will be at home at Heinz Field. And who knows what will be up for grabs at that point. So I do know that uh, I'm pretty sure the magic number is two for the Pittsburgh Steelers, maybe. So if the Chargers win and the, if the Chargers win, yeah, they beat the Ravens and the Steelers win it might lock up the north i'll have to double check on that i'll get i'll get our buddy dave schofield on that but do you do you agree with that because you didn't answer that we did that on uh, the preview show what is your true or false to that uh do you think they run the table since they won i think false i mean of course course they're gonna go one and one (laughs) they're gonna gonna go one and one to finish they 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 will wrap up but i think the ravens will lose to the chargers out west well and let's let's not forget that the 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 ravens finished with the browns 
and the Browns yeah. are no joke anymore. Yes. So they got a better quarterback of the two teams as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So there's a there's a lot left to to decipher with this AFC North division and in the AFC. Um, a quick couple notes while it's on the top of my head. Um, the Dolphins losing today almost knocks them out. The Broncos are out now. The Titans are still alive. The Colts are still alive because they beat the Cowboys. Both of those teams won today. How about the Cowboys? Man, shut <laughs> out. They got shut out. Wallop, boy, Steeler win, Cowboys lose. How about them Cowboys? That's great. Yeah, so they got whopped. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, all right, well, let's get to some questions. We have some that have been rolling in here. Um, some, some some people are saying about the running game, how it's kind of disappeared. You know, it disappeared now. It came back with a vengeance here with Jalen Samuels. I'm going to say that for me, the, the the goal should always be balance. Although Roethlisberger threw the ball 34 times, there was balance there for the most part. Now, if you watch the – I want to go back and look at drive-by-drive, drive, and I said this to you, Lance, via text during the game – it almost seemed like, and Roethlisberger kind of gave this some validity in his post game that they were almost attacking the Patriots with a different philosophy every single drive, so that they could never get comfortable. Um, they would go empty, four or five wides, and then the next drive they'd come out with a little bit heavier package. And because they they never wanted the Patriots to get into a rhythm and be able to pin their ears back, and was it successful? Ah, I don't I don't know. It's tough to say it was or wasn't because they didn't. I mean, they ran the ball well but they never really stuck with the run because they were changing up so much. What are your thoughts on that run balance, run pass balance, run pass balance? Well, well, listeners, if you're new to the show, there, there are a couple of things that are pretty consistent. Typically I pick against the Steelers yes, and, and everybody wants me to pick against the Steelers because typically when it happens, they win, but I'm no longer the bad luck charm because I actually picked that they would win this game and that's they true. won the game. So, so that's true. One of the other consistencies on this show is I always call Jeff Joy because Jeff is always optimistic. Jeff has never he's never picked against the Steelers except when he gave Boswell one grade. That's me, <laughs> that that's me rubbing off on Jeff. The the last thing that's a consistent thing on this program, if you continue to listen, and we hope you do, balance. Jeff says balance all the time, and Jeff's right. There, there are numerous statistics that suggest the more Ben throws, the less they win. You know, we have the 50 throws stat. We have the throws with 40 times. You know, Ben's not a game manager. But as we've seen, Ben will take some risks with the football because he's proverbial, the quote-unquote gunslinger guy. And because of that, he's going to take some chances. So when you can be balanced and you can run the football, you protect your defense. They don't play as many snaps. They don't play many as many possessions and you have the ability to play action. And that's a good thing because Ben Roethlisberger, when he play actions is one of the best play action quarterbacks in the history of national football league. Yeah, I am joy. I do like to bring an optimistic look to the Steelers uh, cause I'm an optimist and I do sometimes think it's like last week, Lance, you were on the show and people were pissed and they wanted everyone fired. And I'm like, guys, they're not going to fire him. And they're calling me a homer. It's like, well, no, that's just being realistic. They're not going to fire anybody. Um, but still, um, that's an interesting question about the running game. I, I do just think balance is what they need to do. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see. Um, I guess you know, someone brought up about the Saints winning i don't know if they play on monday night or, or when because i know the eagles and chargers or i'm sorry eagles and rams are playing right now something about if the rams lose the, the saints might have locked up number one seed would they rest players i'm not going to get into that um let's see here who should be the number three receiver going into next week eli rogers james washington Little water bug, Ryan Switzer. What are your thoughts on that? I don't think it should be solidified one or the other. I think it should just be like by committee. Hey, why you always answer the questions how I was going to ask? Because <laughs> I'm sick of you answering all the damn questions, man. I'm just trying to get my. <laughs> you, know, you know the thing is, it's it's um. You know, I think you're right. It depends on practice. I don't think any of those guys have uh, hammered that position down or nailed it down. I think it should be based on your week in preparation and practice. I think that's an open competition week in and week out, which is a bad thing, but a good thing. It's a bad thing because that, that role hasn't been identified, but it's good that these guys got to fight and compete for it. Absolutely. So let's also, let, 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 this will be a good one to end on. 
if you're giving an MVP or game ball for today, who are you giving the game ball for the win? Hmm. I'm going to give it to Joe Hayden. I'm going to give it to Joe Hayden. Joe Hayden, big interception late in the game to kind of solidify that game. That's on the defensive side, on the offensive side of football. I'm going to give it to Jalen Samuels. Why you got to be answering the questions like I'm going to answer them? See, because <laughs> I see, see, because I, <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. I wanted, I wanted to force you to pick Ben Roethlisberger. I wanted to force you to pick Ben. Oh, I'm not going to. It would be, it, I would, I probably, my, my number one would have been Hayden. That pick was huge. Um, but you know, it, it's, that's a team win, man. That's a, that's a team win. There wasn't one player, in my opinion, on the field that, you know, you think back to other games like where Juju goes off or Roethlisberger throws for six touchdowns. They didn't have that. I thought it was a great team win. Um, I thought there was improvement in a lot of areas. Let's hope that James Conner is healthy for next week. I think they're going to need him. If Jalen Samuels has gained a lot of, he should have a ton of confidence right now. They should have a ton of confidence in him. I think that Steelers have a very good chance of going down to New Orleans and giving them a really tough game. But we'll break that down all for you on Wednesday. Now, I do want to recap what's going to be happening here this week. It's going to be a regular week for us. Tomorrow night, you'll have Brian and Anthony on the Steelers hangover. We will be back on Wednesday for the standard is a standard. I'm sorry, on Thursday, I'll be here for the Steelers preview. And then we'll rinse and repeat next week. Another 4 o'clock game, Steelers at Saints. Uh, Lance, why don't you close us out with your final thoughts on the Steelers win over the Pats. Here we go, Steelers. <laughs> he got so excited and started chanting that he just took himself out of the call. So with that said, I'm Jeff Harvin, editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week on another episode of the Steelers Post Game. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.